Gloves off hockey here on 1510 WMEX. After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again dropping to the ice for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Proudly brought to you by Catches Law Group, New England. For more information, go to catcheslaw.com. You're listening to Gloves Off Hockey with your host, Mike Milbury. We're back, Ben, and uh, we're hoping to have a guest on very shortly. Billy Jaffe from Nesson has told me he'll call in, and we're going to get a chance to get an inside look at what's happening with the Bruins. They've been a surprise of the league, probably. I guess you could say that safely. There have been a couple surprises. Chicago Blackhawks have won four in a row. Nobody saw that coming. But the Bruins have been not just treading water like we wanted them to in the early part of the season. We wanted them to be, you know, just able to get to the point where Brad Marchand could come back and Charlie McAvoy could come back and make an impact. And so they've done a lot better than that, boy, at 6-1. and one. one stinker in Ottawa, but even then they, they fought and clawed their way back a couple of times to make it an interesting game. But I, I think that the, the good news is that Brad Marchand practicing today with Patrice Bergeron and Jake DeBrusque, uh, is means that he is well ahead of schedule. He was he was supposed to be ready by Thanksgiving, and we're uh, as Jim Montgomery pointed out, a good five weeks away. He said he keeps pleading with the doctors to let Marshan play, but this particular injury to the hip and labrum needs the time. And you know, there's there should be no rush for Marshan to jump back into the the picture here at six and one, there's it affords him some flexibility. And the same thing applies to McAvoy. And and yet um, knowing Marshan, and I watched a couple of clips of him at practice, and you could see that impish little grin on his face. You know he's itching to get back into the lineup. But things have gone so well that uh, they can afford the luxury of giving him a little extra time. Apparently, he will not be making the trip to Columbus. They play, they play the Red Wings tomorrow, but then they're off on a four-game road trip. Um, and it looks as if Marshan will stay back and rehab and skate back in Boston. And uh, there is a chance, I guess, that maybe he could join them somewhere along the line on this trip. But if they keep chugging along, uh, I don't see any reason why he, he would be forced to get into the lineup. But, you know, he, he's so competitive and, you know, it's so much fun to watch that none of us can wait to have him back in the lineup. So Couldn't agree with you more on that one, Mike. He is really uh, an electric piece on the ice. And like you said, off to a 6-1-0 start, not too shabby at all. So take all the time you need, boys. And speaking of taking all the time we need, we do have our guest on the line. If you'd like to make the introduction. I sure would. Uh, it's Billy Jaffe, who works with Nesson as an analyst. He works with the NHL Network as an analyst. He's got his own podcast. He's pretty much everywhere, and, and maybe just as important as anything, he coaches his kids' team. Bill, how are you? <laughs> it's good. I've got the got the practice plan ready to go for tonight. Seven twenty on the ice. I think the funny thing is, Mike. It's like I love talking hockey all the time. There's still nothing like being on the ice with the kids. It is great. It's so it, much are fun. Are you the head coach or assistant? I'm the head yeller. Yes, I am. Wow. I'm the head. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm the head yeller. Um, I got roped into it by uh, a dear friend of mine many years ago, who kind of 
coyly said, oh, don't worry about it. Just help out when you can. And then late in the summer, he said, hey, I need you to be the head coach. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. And he said, don't worry, you'll love it. And, and how do you sure describe your coaching style, Bill? Are you a Bruce Cassidy or a Jim Montgomery? <laughs> uh, can I give you the cliche answer, Michael? Sure, I, I why not? Bit from, I take a little bit from everybody. Uh, <laughs> that I, is cliche. I, uh, <laughs> I like, I, you know, I, I love, I absolutely love it. I, I, I expect, I've, all kidding aside, I have high expectations for them, and I expect them, if they've accepted the, the challenge, to be on this type of a team that they're not, they're there to have fun, of course, but they're not there to just be like, Oh, okay. I tried. No, you're there to work your, you know, what off and to learn life lessons and to make yourself better hockey player. And I know that sounds a little bit kind of soapboxy, but that's just how I think it is. And, and that's where I, you got to push them. And, and we do, we push them a lot. It's fun though. Yeah. And it's, and it's good to know that you got a practice plan in place and you, you uh, apparently you distribute it before the practice to let them know what's up, what they're up against. Yeah, we text it out. I text it out between four and five o'clock all the time, and and uh, get it to the other coaches, and we tell them what we're going to do. We have an hour and ten minutes. We're lucky. We actually have a lot of that's a lot, and we have full sheet, and so we go out there and we don't waste any time. Get going and do it, and we have a ton of fun. The team just qualified as one of the top teams in our in our league for the Quebec Pee Wee National Tournament at the at the high the elite level. Well, so you'll have a ton excited. of fun there. This I've, I've been there done that and it's a it's a special place and the people of quebec put on a special show so i'm sure you're going to have a great time with it but anyway moving on to some other things that we need to talk about our our local professional team six yeah. and one did you see it coming six and one no hell no uh-uh. i'd love to tell you that i was a smart analyst but heck you kind of you hired me years ago with the islanders you know i'm not that good yeah i i i would have thought uh you know what mike i i I thought they had a good chance for a decent October. November, if you look at the schedule, which I know you have, is much more um, traditionally difficult, meaning traditionally difficult opponents, right? Next week's road trip between uh, Pitt and Toronto and New York, that's tough, right? It is. I thought that they could get um, a little over 500 in October. To sit here and say I thought they'd be 6-1 right now with – a legit chance to go eight and one. I mean, these are two winnable games. You don't look past these teams, but man, oh man, they're winnable. And if they can do that, you want to talk about a start? No, I didn't see that. I thought they'd be good in the sense of a good team when everybody was healthy. I, I didn't see this though right now. Were you surprised when Bruce Cassidy got fired? I, I was a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about it that, um, you know, because he got a lot out of this team, not just the win percentage, but he just he was able to really make him one of the most reliable team defense, defensive, uh, stru- defensively structured teams in the league. And and we know, right, defense wins more or less. Um, but, you know, when you also look at six years in this NHL, as crazy as it sounds, Jack, I don't need to tell you, that's a long time. It, it is for coaches. You know, it's when you look at the Coopers of the world that are going on eight, nine years, and you know, formerly Lindy Ruff, I believe it was 15 years or whatever he was, and, and Barry Trotz a long time. You know, those are, those are crazy numbers for coaches to stay that long. Six years right now in one spot's a long time, so I'm going to kind of contradict myself. When it was all said and done, you're like, well, you know, if they say it was time for a change and there was, you know, talk about that, then I guess, hey, six years is six years. 
didn't take him long to get on another horse too and he got a no. million and a half dollar race so it turned out pretty well for him I, I, he yeah. lives down here where i do around new seabury and we chatted a little bit he was a little surprised at the the move but uh, george mcphee who had hired him originally in washington picked him up again very quickly and they're off to a pretty good start too let me talk about the new coach have you got uh-huh. to know him much yeah uh you know i i got to know monty a little bit before because i, I used to do a of a lot of uh, college hockey stuff, not just for Nesson, but, you know, for ESPN, I would always do a regional for them, the NCAA. And I did a couple of games that Denver was in when, when, when Jim was there. And, um, you know, he's, he and I are basically the same age, too. So common people or people in common that we know. Um, he's, he's just salt of the earth, you know, kind of simple way he communicates with people, but he's really good at that. He lays out his expectations well, um, which is, you know, again, I don't need to tell you this. Players just want structure, and I, I think they just want to know. What, what, what's, what is it going to be? What's the real thing coming out of the coach's mouth? Like, don't trickery me, you know, the real thing. And, and he's a real guy, and I think that uh, he's got a lot of creative instincts to his game or to his coaching style. We're seeing that in his game, in particular, the defense Getting not just getting into the play, Mike, because you, you can say, "Hey, get up into the play." That's nice and easy, but it's where they're touching the puck. It's how they're carrying it, how they're not dumping it as much, how they're moving with it in the O zone and waiting for certain things to open. And again, and I, I know I keep saying this in general, it's early, but the early indicators are is that they're they've picked it up now a couple of weeks in, and there are much what they seem to be a quicker team, a much quicker team with the puck because of the way that they're moving with it as a five-man unit. I was a little bit nervous after watching the Ottawa game because it was, yeah. it was. I mean, they burned the house down defensively. It was, it was just, there would seem to be no structure. And, and of course, does that follow from having the defense involved in the play? Does it get too rambunctious? And But they seemed to straighten it out after that game, did they not? They did. I will say this, you know, we just saw the Dallas Stars last night, and they had come from playing the Ottawa Senators as well, and a similar thing happened to them. It wasn't the uh, the, uh, the 7-5 crazy game that the, that the Bruins had, but it was still the same type of thing. And I do think that Ottawa, while they're a better team too, I think they also, with their kind of their young buck energy and their physicality right now, have a tendency to – I think they're going to open up a lot of teams, Mike. I just think how they are structurally. They're just going to go – yeah, they were, gonna, they were fun to watch, well, weren't they? Yeah, they are fun to watch. And they're going to be good, I, in a couple, real good, I think, in a couple of years. But I think the Bruins, coming off a of back-to-back, no excuse but, you know, second game for them, traveling to Ottawa. You know how much of a pain in the ass it is to get out to the, uh, to the rink in Ottawa, long night. It's not an excuse, it's just the reality. And there was a lot more at stake for Ottawa in that game. And the Bruins still came back in that game, you know, after being down. And Twice. Back. But they did... They reset for the next few games at home. Look, they got a lot of challenges coming up. They're going to see a lot of good teams, so I still think we're going to see some hiccups with the system and, and some breakdowns. However, you got to be encouraged the fact, especially defensively, that they're doing this without you know Charlie McAvoy in the lineup, and that just goes to show you how good as well Hampus Lindholm has been. What a what a monster he is back there. He uh, is. We we just got a little taste of what he could be last year before he got steamrolled and and that ended his day in the sun but he's come back now and you know when when he first got here he really 
seemed awfully cocky, which was almost out of character for the Swedes, right? <laughs> you know, but he seemed like I want to make a difference. I want to be the go-to guy, not not just Charlie McAvoy. He didn't say that, but you know, he he has taken that position as the number one defenseman in, in Charlie's absence and has done pretty darn well with it, hasn't he? Absolutely, I absolutely couldn't be more accurate with regard to his confidence level. It's on that border, right? Like he came out and he, it wasn't bragging. He wasn't saying, I, I am the guy. He, I want to be the guy. And, I, you know, you're, look, you're a former coach, GM. Wouldn't you love to hear that out of players? I mean, he can back it up, so that obviously helps. But I think he was so excited, Mike, to get out of Anaheim, where they were headed. And, I mean, I've talked to him a couple of times. and You know, I finally got a chance to sit and, and meet him, and a really nice guy. You know, I've known his game for a while as an analyst following the league. But to really see the intricacies of his game and to talk to guys that have coached him, they're like, look, he's got a nasty edge to his game. He's not going to steamroll you, you know, a big body checker, but he's got a nasty edge to it. He does a lot of stuff a little kind of away from the play and he'll let you know where he is and he'll let you, you know, like stay out of his area. And he wants to be great. He does. He wants to be that guy. He, he was saying, look, I enjoyed my time out there. In California, but I was ready to move east. You know, I'm ready. You know, he is. He's enamored with the city of Boston. You know, living in the city, walking around, he's enthralled with it. And I think that this trade uh, was was great for him. Has re-energized him, and he is so excited to be playing with high-end guys that are in their prime instead of guys that are good in Anaheim, but are kind of just barely getting into knowing how good they are at 21, 22 years old. I think he's relishing this. Without you know asking for too much time on each guy, let me run you through the defense, and you give me yep. a, a hint of what they they've been like for the first part of the season. Connor Clifton, uh, probably the best surprise with regard to the highest how how high of a level he has played at. Mike, he usually would go three to four games at this high level, and then would start having some. Uh, two rambunctious of performances that he get out of position. Connor Clifton has been excellent this year. I would call him my, my, my number one surprise on the blue line so far. And, and he, he certainly proved that he's tough enough. Um, the hit on hints last night was tremendous. And he topped that with a fight with Colin Miller. So there's no shortage of gutsiness None. there. And he's and, not that big. No, he's not. <laughs> Derek Forbert. Uh, solid, consistent, uh, doing his role. That's how I would describe it. Derek Forbert, you know, his coming out party as far as the Boston Bruin was last year in the playoffs. Uh, despite the fact that he's lost in seven, he and Clifton were excellent, and he was excellent on the PK, and he has continued that. He is what he is. Let's not, you know, let's not. And, and he knows that. So he understands, I think, his limitation. You know, knowing what you aren't is oftentimes more important than knowing what you are. And he, we, with that said, it's not like he doesn't still get a few chances here and there and a couple of goals, but Derek Forbert for the PK, which has been scintillating early on, has been great. What about Mike Riley? Um, interesting. You know, what's going to happen with him? And, you know, he had to go through the whole waiver situation. And then, yet, just like a Nick Foligno up front, he's in the lineup after that. He's getting some decent ice time. You know, Riley is... You know, it's been talked at length about he was injured last year. He felt that his ankle and foot was barely at, I think he's, he told me, 70% best. 
and for about the previous year and a half. It's at 100% right now. He's playing solid minutes. I, I'm going to say it's between 16 and 17. I don't have it in front of me, but he's playing solid minutes, but he's kind of that tweener of is he an offensive guy or is he just, you know, is he a depth guy? And, and I think that I think when Charlie McAvoy gets back, the question mark is going to be on him and, and Zaboro as to can they afford to handle or hang on to both of those guys. The answer is probably going to be no on one of them. I'm not a Zaboro guy. I just He just seems to make too many mistakes. He gets muscled off the puck. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if it weren't him. Riley seems to fit into the scheme of thinking of Jim Montgomery as much as anybody, right? I mean, the first couple games – he was on the giddy up left, right, and center. Yeah, he absolutely is. I think he felt, you know, like, you know, screw it. I know I was put on waivers, but I'm going to go out there and just play my game, whatever that means, whether I'm a Bruin or somebody else. I mean, he loves, he loves this team. He loves the guys. But, you know, it's a business. Again, I don't need to tell you that. But he, he, the thing that might work against Mike Riley is that he makes $3 million. That's the difference. And Zaboro makes, I don't know what, one, one, two, one, two, five, one, three. And so Zaboro, who I liked it, the most I liked him, no question about it, was before he had the knee injury where he closed on guys and he utilized his footwork and then he got more aggressive in his reads. And it was like, all right, here you go, Jacob. You know, like he really became uh, uh, what I would call a more noticeable player last year, Mike, for the knee injury. Um, but he hasn't been the same. And so when it's all said and done, the Bruins – you know, maybe they want to hold on it, it, again. Let's if we're playing this this talk radio game here. Who knows? You know, if if they can't afford to keep both, they probably. I'm going to guess they they have to entertain moving Riley just because that clears up salary more salary space too. It'll be interesting to see if they can in fact move him, but they are with him right now, and you know he's he's been good. He's, he's been, been good. okay. He's been okay yeah. lately, and I I I have to admire the fact that he and Felino you know, handled the waiver thing as well as anybody could handle it. You know, there were no no crying, no whining, no nothing. Just back to the ice and work work your way through it. And and I got to give him credit for that. Tell me about the goaltender. What's happened here? This just flowering of of Omark. It just seems uh, he's he's so much better than he was last year. In my mind, he's square to the puck, zoned in. Uh, confident as hell, and his t- the timing of his big saves has been tremendous. Like when there's a two-two yeah. game, he's just made a big save, and he's he no problem. And it's gone on for all s- seven of these. Ga- well, not seven because Swayman was in for one, but uh, he 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 has been consistently on top of it. And and I, I just I don't know why. I mean, I see a huge change. Do you? Yeah, we see an enormous change. Just you know, especially. If you know you really can compare his first five six games to last year to this year, um, you, you're getting you're seeing a guy who had never changed organizations in his five year NHL career, going from Buffalo, um, which you know finally is turning it around a little bit. They're starting to get some direction last yeah, year. Yeah, they stubbed year. their toe in Seattle though, didn't they? They did. See that yes, coming? They, yes, they did. But at least it feels like they've got some um, competent people, you know, r- running the hockey and, and, and side of it. And, and I'm a big Donnie Granado fan with regard to coaching. So I think he's going to do well there with regard to Linus though, Mike, he came from an organization that there wasn't a lot of direction at that time. And he still had like a, 
a 917 or 16 save percentage when he was with Buffalo. I remember talking to Jack Eichel once. This was while Jack was still there. And he's like, are you kidding me? If we didn't have Linus, he's like, he's by far the MVP here. You know, if we didn't have him, I'll, I'll, he's like, he's unbe- he's really unbelievable. And I said, oh, because I didn't know him at the time. This was right when the Bruins had signed him to the free agent deal that a lot of people lamented at $5 million a year. And, you know, he comes in at 27, new team, new city, new everything, new system. He, 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 I don't say he struggles at first. It just doesn't look pretty. And now... Now you look at him. You know he was six five two twenty last year when he came into the Bruins. He didn't look. He didn't look it. Now he looks all of the six four six five two twenty and then some. Um, his glove got extremely uh, noticeable last year, the last half or last third of the season, and it's continued into this year. Um, and I, I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it, but he, he, you know his, his glove is at, at a level where. It's almost like he, he looks like he's a natural baseball player. Like, I, don't, I don't think they play much in Sweden. But um, he's just he's been tremendous. His puck touches have been great. His, it's the overall calmness to his game that has now transcended everything else. I think it has set everything else. You know, I do a lot with Razor, with Raycroft, and Raycroft has been completely um, impressed with the transformation from last year to this year. And maybe, just maybe, Mike, we got to say to Bob Asenza, Good job. A lot of work has gone into that as well. And, and Bob's been here for a long time, but maybe you got to tip your, your, your goalie max to him and, yeah, and say you great do. job. Bob. And, uh, and, and to Jim Montgomery, somehow he's managed to make him feel like, you know, it, what, it looked like Swayman was going to be the heir apparent. And now they've, they've given a pathway for, for Omar to think that he can be the go-to guy. And why not the way he's playing? But I just yeah. see his vision on the ice is so he's so tuned in uh, that it, he he looks like an, an entirely different goaltender and he looks like he's playing at six five. I didn't realize I knew he was big. Didn't realize he was six five. Yeah, I you know he's just and, and by the way that might be uh, you know kind of stretching uh, statistics or, 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 or numbers. You know how you know how guys might fudge that here and there, but he's he's at least six four. He's six. I mean he's a big man and uh, he just he just looks even bigger in the net right now. You know, Ottinger's a big kid, the kid that we saw last night for Dallas, and uh, he's listed at 6'5", and and Linus looks every bit the size of him. You know, I guess you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I guess you could make that statement about David Krejci. What kind of impact has he had coming back? uh, It has been tremendous. It has been... I, I think it has so much impact, uh, first of all, on the physical depth. Okay, now you've got your three guys slot. You've got four centers. We have got your three guys slotted. And you really want to have Charlie Coyle as your 3C. You just want that. That's If you have a chance to be a great team, that's where you want Charlie He's slotted, one of the okay? best third-line centers in the league, isn't he? I would think so. I would, yeah. I, would, I, would, I mean, we saw in 2019 when they put him with Marcus Johansson and they got going, that's what, that was a major reason for the Bruins to make the run to the playoffs, uh, or to the final that year. Um, so that does that physically slots everybody well. But it also gives, I think it gives Bergeron a sense of, all right, I got my running mate, my old buddy with me, and I don't, you know, I don't have to do everything. It gives, I think it has been so valuable for both Pasternak and Krejci to have each other. David, David Pasternak looks like to me, you want to talk maturation process, he has come back this year physically and mentally and emotionally 
talking a little with him, just listening to him, watching him on the ice, how he handles things. This is by far the most mature that his game has been. I mean, his sellies, after he scores these highlight real goals, are nothing, Mike. Doesn't even sell him. And that says to me, he's here for all business. You know what I mean? It's not that he's having fun. I I think that um, that he, he has handled, talk about handling situations, I mean, he's got this contract hanging over his head. I don't know if they've insured him and, and protected him against some sort of injury, but I don't know why they haven't just given him the, the dough. I mean, he's 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 worth the price of admission. Pay our boy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I, I don't, I, you know, listen, obviously negotiations are, I don't know, tough. We know more or less where he's going to be, right? Unless the big question now is salary cap. They're trying to, you know, if they project it out and, and therefore – uh, you know, maybe wanting more. I, I'm not sure, but he is. He's tremendous. And I, I think Krejci's coming back. Obviously, Pasternak had a lot to do with it, given that they played together at the Worlds and they're great buddies. Um, but I also think it's done an awful lot, you know, not just on the ice. I also think it's done an awful lot off the ice for both of them. I think I think Krejci's got to be looking at the, his young buddy and saying, this is awesome. I'm getting to play with him when he's in his absolute prime. And it is a... It's a show every night. I mean, he's right yeah. at the top of the leaderboard, but outside of Jesper Bratt from New Jersey, who leads the league round, which is a bit of a surprise. But uh, in your estimation, where can this team be by the time those guys get back into the lineup? You said it's going to be a tough road trip. Yeah. You ha- Usually the rule of thumb is 500 on the road. Are you happy with that? I am. Yeah, I, I, I am. I, I am, given that you, you, you know, you in general know that they can't continue to play at this breakneck record. So, I'm, hey, listen, man, if they're taking care of their business at home and they go 500 on the road, especially coming up, uh, they've got games after those me- we mentioned on the road. They've got Calgary. They've got St. Louis in November. They've got, uh, I think it's Carolina they've got the day after Thanksgiving, always that fun day, the day after Thanksgiving. Like, I, I just, I mean, that's a tough month. So if, if, if you can get through November with all the road games and all just the tough com- com- competition at 500, yeah, I'm thrilled with that. I am. And I, I firmly believe that Marshand is back much sooner than later. I, I firmly believe that's happened. You know, he's, he's been at a breakneck speed pace in practices that I've watched him. And uh, I, I think that uh, uh, I think he's back really soon. And Charlie, a couple of weeks after. Is there any one thing they need? Can you put your finger on anything? Uh, yeah, I would say when it's all said and done, again, this is early season analysis on this team. I mean, health being the great, obviously, equalizer. Um, I think they need to figure out a really good third line. You know, Pavel Zaka might, you know, looks to be the third line guy along with Coyle when Marchand is back. That's a pretty darn good left, right, um, left center right there, right? Those two guys. 6'3", yes. 220 each. What does Craig Smith do? If Craig Smith gets his game back and he becomes Shooter Smith again with the purpose, scoring some goals, oh, I like it. He hasn't been – he hasn't had that rhythm yet. He, I, think he's, it's a, I think the third line is just too, too important uh, for this team. They need to be successful because those top lines, you know how skilled – sometimes those lines go a little cold. You need that third line for mismatch. And – even though you're going to have McAvoy, you're going to have Lindholm, you're going to have those two horses back there. You got to hope that Carlos stays healthy and then Grizz. But I still think they could use, you know, I love the Forbert Clifton pair, 
but I'm always a big believer in adding one more big time, you know, top, let's call it top, uh, a four, five, six defenseman. Absolutely. They could use that. I like physical the way you guy put too. that. Can't get enough of them in the postseason, right? It's just yep. defensemen go down and you need to have somebody step up to the plate. Well, listen, Bill, thank you for your time. I appreciate the insight. The reason, there's a reason why you're all over the place analyzing stuff because you're so good at it and just go out there and do a good job coaching today. You're here. I, I will. Thank you very much. We're going to be bringing it, getting ready for the weekend. Fun to be on with you, Mike. Good luck with everything, bud. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. Perfect. Billy Jaffe here on Gloves Off Hockey with Mike Milbury. We're going to step aside, take our halftime break, and when we come back, we've got Chris from Milton on the line here on 1510 WMEX. We'll be right back. Back here live on Gloves Off Hockey with Mike Milbury, your host here on 1510 WMEX, and we're going right to the fun phone line. Chris and Milton's calling in, and you are up next, brother. Hey, how's it going? First time, long time. I wanted to ask about the Bees power play. They were 4 for 22 for the first six games. And with guys out, it's even more obvious that the puck's going to pasta. What do you think the quickest fix is to starting to get more production out of the power play? Is <laughs> the quickest. The offensive zone setup? Uh, I, I think you need to, you really need to say, listen, one of the be- maybe the best left wing in Bruins history is Brad Marchand. That says a lot when Johnny Busick patrolled the wing for a while. He's coming back. That's going to make a difference. McAvoy, of course, is going to make a difference. In the interim, and I agree with the power play, can't be overlooked. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a source of offense that needs to be tapped on a regular basis. It's a little underwhelming right now. I think they're getting a little too cute. I think they have to have more net front presence. Their, their second unit, Felino, gets to the front of the cage more than anybody on that first unit. They try to use the bumper play from from down low to Bergeron in the slot. That hasn't seemed to be hasn't clicked as well as I think they would have liked. But they continue to go back to that. So I think they gotta wind up with more shots from the point, more traffic in front. Get a little dirtier, a little uglier. I know you got some really gifted offensive players out there and Krejci and Pasternak, but you know, I'm sure you know from watching hockey for a while that if you start to overpass the puck on the power play, give up opportunities to shoot it, it starts to suffer. But that's my take on the power play. But I do I know one thing, it's going to get better in a big hurry once those two guys get back into the lineup because they're both excellent at what they do. And by the way, you know, I should have told Billy Jaffe this. He should watch out for Charlie McAvoy. He did a pretty good job in the analyst booth with Brick and Jack Edwards last night. So not only can he play the power play, but he can analyze a hockey game. You're right. There you go, Ben. (laughs) I like it. Chris, you had a second question as well? The sub-question to that question was, is there too much tunnel vision going to Pasternak just because it's starting to seem to become too predictable? Well... You're right. I mean, that's going but to be the, guys good. Out, it is fair to say that. It is fair to say that, and I think I think they will adjust to that. I think one of Montgomery's strengths is as an offensive player. Apparently, as a player at Maine and and in his minor league career, he was a very skilled uh, center iceman, and I think he'll recognize that uh, power play is one of the things that you can influence as a coach. You have to do it in some subtle ways. You can't hammer it and say, this is the setup we're going to have. It's going to stay there. You have to give reins of creativity to people. 
But if if Pasternak's position is is now predictable, that's the death knell for all power plays. You got to be able to move it around. You got to be able to move your body around, and you got to find yourself in good positions to score. And if the opposition, all of whom keep their eye on special teams tapes going into a game, see Pasternak there, they're gonna they're gonna try to find a way to prevent him from getting the puck. And if that happens, they have to find alternative ways to to loosen things up and find other ways to to get productivity. I will say this, however. We've known for however many years Alex Ovechkin has played uh, in Washington. <laughs> he sets up on the faceoff dot time after time after time and scoring goals at a rate that might catch Wayne Gretzky. So there's something to, said, to be said for going to the guy that's got the hot hand. But even, even Ovechkin has changed a little bit. He's moved around a little bit more often the later he goes in his career because he knows sometimes teams are just going to make a special effort to deny him the puck maybe at the expense of some other vulnerability. But good questions, Chris. Thank uh, you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Bud. We appreciate you. And all callers in at 781-834-9639. Uh, we do have another caller on the line, Mike. I'm going to go right back to the fun phone. It's Brendan out of Quincy. He had a question regarding the defense as well. Brendan, are you there? Hey, Mike. Hey, Benny. How you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for calling, buddy. Been a big fan of your show for a few weeks now. I do have a question for you. Okay. There's a rumor going around that Brad Marchand could be coming back really soon, like really soon. And he's been telling the media that he's pushing for every day. At one point we were hearing that this guy might not be back until December or January, and now it sounds like he could be returning in days. When do we see Marchand uh, officially I, make know, his comeback? He practiced, with, he practiced with the top line today. We talked a little bit about that earlier. He... Um, is feeling good. Talked about his timing being just a little bit off, which you would expect. Uh, you know, missing all of training camp and not getting the chance to, to you know, work your way into shape with guys that you know. Uh, he talked about the doctors. You know, making sure he was he was a hundred percent. And they they've said right along they didn't want him to rush it back, but he's had a remarkable turnaround and 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 clearly, uh, it looks like he's going to beat the projected return date of thanksgiving uh and he he's he would be a tough guy to say no to because he's just such a yappy little guy and and he's you know got got his way into practice sessions jim montgomery said he won't play tomorrow he said he'd love to have 63 in the lineup tomorrow it looks like what i've heard and read was that he would not be going on the road trip to start at least at columbus but that doesn't mean they couldn't pick up along the way somewhere in either Pittsburgh or Toronto or I guess New York is the other one that they're they're in for. But uh, when you're 6-1 and one like this, there's no reason to push him back before you're really comfortable and the doctors are comfortable. And I, I think the, the the biggest part of this equation with Marshank coming back, it is the physicians, the guys that did the surgery on his hips. And not this is not a, you know, an easy surgery, an easy fix. This was, you know, some deep stuff that they had to get into. And yet here he is knocking on the door and that will, you know, pursuant to Chris's question about the power play, getting him back is going to give us also give them all sorts of options. Uh, and, and certainly there's another guy in the tank McAvoy at, at Thanksgiving that upset a little bit, but I hope you're right. I hope I see him on the road trip. Uh, always fun to see him in the mix. Um, but 
try to keep my uh, expectations reasonable here, and I, I think it's safe to say that they can afford to give him a little more time to make sure he's as ready as he can be. So, And just one quick follow-up for sure. you. Say he does return sooner than later. How far does this team now go since we've seen them to get off to this hot start? I'll hang up and listen to you. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I, You know... What's happened here? Like, I mean, first of all, the, the the presence of David Krejci in the lineup is an awesome thing for the the Bruins. Last year, they fought the whole year to try to get a some balance to their offense, and they couldn't really find it. Um, Krejci Krejci comes back, and they they the perfection line was broken up because Marshan was hurt, but they break up the perfection line. And Pasternak gets to play with his boyhood idol, David Krejci. And for a while, they had the check line, Zaka on the left side. And it's made for a lot more room for, for Bergeron, and it will be with DeBrusque and, and Marshawn in a little while, to 1 and 1A. One I don't want to even delegate. You can't, how can you delegate Krejci's line to you know, the second unit when Pasternak is on it and Krejci's on it. And I don't care, Taylor Hall on the left side, anybody on that left side. It's a heck of a, it's a heck of a line. So they've got two, the top six is good. It's solid. The third line, um, Billy Jaffe talked about a little bit. We, we, you know, both think that uh, Charlie Coyle is a terrific third line center. Craig Smith has got off to a really rocky start, and he's a, he's a better player than what he's shown. I, I don't know what the problem is, whether he thinks he should have more of a role. Um, Zaka has played on the left side. He needs to figure it out defensively. That that concerns me a little bit. The fourth line with Felino and Nosek and whoever plays on that other side has been visible. They've checked hard. They've worked hard. Um, so the four lines are there to, to go deep. Absolutely. And, and I think that the defense, when McAvoy returns and Lindholm continues to play like this, and Clifton is playing better than he have, has, need to have Grizzlick stay healthy. But And maybe maybe they need to add another piece along the line. Strawman didn't look good when he came into the lineup. Zborl doesn't impress me right now. Um, but, you know, and Riley needs to figure it out a little bit. But that bottom pairing needs to be a little stronger for me. And if Hampus Lindholm plays like this, there's, he's in the elite. His numbers put him in the elite level of goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And so other than maybe a, a little improvement from the third line and, a, and another defenseman to go into the mix, I'm starting to believe that they have a, a chance to make some serious noise here. And I, I really didn't think I'd say that. I agree with you. I I completely agree. You know, when you start the season, Mike, off with your depth pieces up front and those pieces start clicking early on, hopefully when those guys come back, you're not going to disrupt that flow, but hopefully add to it. And I think the Bruins have showed so far that they're a resilient bunch. You know, they certainly aren't taking any shifts for granted. I'll uh, hold my breath on a couple of those from the Ottawa game. But overall, they seem to hit the ice with that intensity. They're ready to roll. It doesn't seem to be a motivational issue, whatever it might be at any point that it does show up. But, you know, a 3-1 win over a strong Dallas club, uh, that was about as impressive as you're going to ask uh, as of last night for the Bees. And uh, before we get to our uh, our quarter break here, almost done with the show already. I can't even believe it's already 6.42, Mike. Can you? Uh, it's 
It's cooking along right now. Flies right by. So let's, uh, on that note, before we go to our break, let's take a spin through last night's scores. And simply, Mike, you just say, surprised or not. Obviously, a 3-1 Bruins win. I don't think that's very surprising to you. No, it wasn't surprising at all. It was a a fun hockey game to watch. I thought both goaltenders were excellent. Uh, I think that... uh, I think that the Bruins took advantage of their opportunities. Two great goals, by the way, by Postonok and Hall on one-timer passes. No surprise to me, but and I didn't think it was going to be easy. It wasn't, um, but they got the job done. So I'll check off no surprise there. No doubt. The uh, Minnesota Wild took away a W for the first time this season with a 3-1 win over the Canadians. I know we weren't watching that one last time we talked, but... Hey, I guess someone had to win, right? No real surprises there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Minnesota has got to figure it out in the middle of a road trip, and they finally catch a break in Montreal and get the job done. So good on them, but there's still plenty of work ahead of them. On that one, real quick, I do want to just uh, spend a second. How do you feel about Gallagher complaining on the back-to-back missed calls? And Andre, uh, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, out of character, being a little... Uh, pushy Chevy out there last night, but uh, he got away with a couple and Gallagher stood there complaining at the side of the net. How do you feel about that? Don't ask me to feel bad for Brendan Gallagher. Oh, never. (laughs) He's the Montreal version of Brad Marchand. And if he's, he's not in your organization, uh, he's going to be an annoying son of a gun. And and that's the way, that's the way he becomes effective. Uh, He's a talented player, a good player, but um, you know, all the things that he's gotten away with over his career, he shouldn't be shouldn't be chirping to the officials about what somebody else got away with. Heard. Get back on your horse and ride, brother. That's it. Ride into the sunset. Here's a surprising one, I think. Coyotes, 6-3 over the Blue Jackets in front of a Blue Jackets home crowd. How do you feel? <laughs> Patrick Laine came back. You know, you thought they'd have a little juice there from that game, but... Um, you can't give up that number of goals. I'm surprised that Arizona was able to take advantage of that. But sometimes when you get a big guy back, you relax. You think, okay, he's back in the picture. Everything's going to be fine. And it's not. Goudreau scored a goal last night. Liney gets shut out. Uh, the Blue Jackets are stumbling along trying to find their way with uh, with a couple of very talented players. And Boone Jenner in the middle of that line. But uh, still work to do. No doubt about that. We saw the New Jersey Devils go to Little Caesars Arena, or is it Little Caesars Palace now, whichever one. Either way, they beat the Red Wings 6-2 in front of their home crowd, and that's a surprising one. New Jersey off to a very slow start. Well, they were up and down. They lost a couple. They won three in a row. Then they got hammered by somebody, I forget. And and, and last night, uh, they broke Detroit's unbeaten streak. They actually scored a power play goal, and Detroit had not given up a power play goal through the, the first five games of the season. season. Um, 41 shots they pumped at uh, Nedelkovic, the goaltender from Detroit. And they're, they're over 500 at 4-3 and three to start the season. It's a team that's trying to make some noise. Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, the two top draft picks for New Jersey, both on the board and, and starting to make noise. But they need to find some consistency to the game. They clearly have more talent. And, and let's not forget to mention Jersey, Jesper Bratt, who leads the league in scoring and, and settled for a one-year contract, was looking to make some hay in New Jersey. They couldn't get it done, so he backed off, took a one-year deal, and now uh, he's off to a red-hot start, so good on him. 
That's the way to do it. We have uh, two more scores I wanted to go over, but we're going to step aside, take our final break of the evening first, 781-834-9639. we got lots more to talk about on Gloves Off Hockey with Mike Milbury next. Told you, right back in a flash, Gloves Off Hockey, brought to you by Ketchis Law Group. Check them out online at catcheslaw.com. You're listening live on 1510 WMEX. Mike Milbury here with your friend Ben Rabinovitz, breaking down all the hockey news from yesterday, today, and probably tomorrow too, Mike. we got a lot on the docket here. A couple more scores to go over real quick. Uh, Flames 4 over the Penguins 1. That was always fun for the Calgary faithful to see. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh came off the loss in, in Edmonton, and, uh, you know, Edmonton's a, a skating team. And they probably had to work hard to stay in it. And they travel down the road to Calgary. And Calgary's a good skating team. And the last two periods of that game was all Calgary. I can tell you that. I'm sure Pittsburgh was happy to get out of town uh, with all in one piece. But it was a one-way street for the last two periods. Pittsburgh clearly just ran out of gas. No doubt about it. Uh, speaking of which, uh, shootout, it had to go to the Avalanche and the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. Ended with a 3-2 punch for the Avs. What a hockey game this was. Uh, and it had all sorts of drama going into it. I mean, you've got the Avalanche, who Stanley Cup d- defending champions, and you've got the Rangers, who look like they're trying to make some noise, and they've gone on a little bit of a slow streak lately. But the goaltender for the Avalanche was Alexander Georgiev, and he came back to New York after being traded by the Rangers, and he got some satisfaction beating the team that traded him over the summer. But more importantly, you know, he never felt he got a chance. He felt that they went to Igor Shosturkin and that his number was always going to be number two. And he's a little, he was a little bitter about it. So now he goes to a team where he can come back to New York. He wins the game, obviously, but might even win a Stanley Cup. But now is a clear opportunity to prove that he's a number one goaltender. And last night, I think it was it was like 90 shots in total for both teams. Both goaltenders, Shosturkin and Georgiev, were just on fire. And then when they won in the shootout, um, you could see by virtue of the selly of Georgiev just to what it meant to him. He was just, I mean, he's as charged up as a goaltender can get when you win a hockey game. I felt good for him. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to make people believe that he is, in fact, the number one goaltender. He sure looked like it last night. Sure did. A few more scores in the league last night. Lots of games last night. Hawks 4-2 in regulation over the Panthers. That one, eh, relatively not surprising. Uh, i tell you this, though. The Seattle Kraken taking it to the Buffalo Sabres 5-1 last night. That might be the biggest win of their career yet. It was a trap game for Buffalo. I mean, they'd won a, three in a row. They were going into an expansion franchise thinking like, and it happens with young teams. They start to think they get ahead of themselves. Like, we can win this game. This is going to be... Uh, this is going to be easy for us. And it's, and it's not going to be easy for them. It, it's never easy to win in the National Hockey League. So they stubbed their toe two goals early by the Kraken, and uh, they kind of want it going away. But the only good news for Buffalo is Rasmus Dahlin had an assist, kept his point streak alive, lost his head, scored, in fi- scored goals in five straight games, but that, that was snapped. But that one you could almost, you could almost see coming from – the Buffalo Sabres standpoint, they just, you know, you just got to keep on your nose to the grindstone. And that's what the Bruins have been doing so well. In part, I think it's because 
of guys like Bergeron and Krejci. They just they just reset the button, go back at it, work hard every night, and then it, whatever happens, they do it again for the next one. It's called consistency. It's called professionalism. Buffalo's learning to get there, but obviously has a ways to go. Oh, they've come so far from the tire fire they were four seasons ago. Ah, brings a tear to your eye sometimes. <laughs> uh, two more games to go over, and then a look ahead at the Detroit Red Wings in the last 10 minutes of the show here. Kings over the Lightning, 4-2 out in L.A. That was a surprise. Well, it's, it's no longer a surprise to see the Lightning lose hockey games. They play again tonight in uh, Anaheim. It'll be interesting to see if they can rebound there. Um, Listen, L.A. has become a, a team that plays with pace. They're much quicker than they've been. They have, speaking of quick, Jonathan Quick regaining some form. I'm a little nervous that they might try to go to that well too often. He's been prone to some injury over the last couple of years, but he certainly looks like he's found what he'd lost. And he was, you know, he's probably on his way to the Hall of Fame, but this you know, when the goaltender loses his fastball, it's it's a tough thing to accept from your team. But L.A. can handle it now. They've got good pace to their game. And uh, it seems to me that you're seeing holes in Tampa that we hadn't seen. Vasilevsky wasn't horrible last night, but, you know, he looked merely mortal. Maybe they're getting cleaner looks at him. But um, certainly, if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, there is reason to be concerned. No doubt about it. Last game from last night, out in San Jose, the Golden Knights and Phil Kessel would go in and have a 4-2 regulation win and lots of accolades coming alongside with this one. Yeah, well, listen, 400 games is a lot. That's a lot of hockey games to play. And uh, I'm sorry, a lot of goals to score because he scored his 400th goal and in playing his 990th game. Um, Going back to 2009. Yeah, exactly. And... uh, you know, he's not a physical player. He knows how to get out of the way. He, he, he's not a defensive stalwart. But when you put those numbers up on the board, you got to tip your cap to the guy. I mean, he's just and, – and it sounds like he's matured over time. I mean, he was a bit of a petulant child here in Boston. Didn't get much better in Toronto, but seems to have figured it out along the way in Pittsburgh. And now teammates call him fun to be around. I just never saw that coming. Seriously, neither did I, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it's just glad to see it. And, of course, you know, getting two big milestones like that in one night. It's been a long time since that's been the case. But, you know, Keith Yandel held that record nice for what, about three, four months, right? Something like that's that. That's about it. But, you know, listen, I don't know if anybody's going to match that record. I mean, it's obviously people have gone past guys like Doug Jarvis and Gary Unger and now Keith Yandel, but but – it's a streak you can be proud of, and uh, you know. Uh, but more importantly for me, from the aspect of Phil Kessel, is his productivity. You know, he he he's scoring 400 goals is not an easy thing to do in this league, and um, you know he's he's been pretty gifted at that. Won a couple of cups with Pittsburgh, so you know I don't know what kind of guy he is. I don't know what kind of player he is, but I got to tip my cap to him as a as a guy that watches this game religiously for for reaching those milestones there uh, and and being that pro- productive. Absolutely. And the worth noting, the next closest guy on the list, Carolina Hurricanes defenseman Brett Burns. Boy, that sounds weird to say. Carolina Hurricanes defenseman Brett Burns has the second longest active streak at 685, going back to November the 21st, 
2013, and nobody else has more than 500 games under their belt. So pretty impressive. Mike, with the last five minutes of this one, let's look ahead to the Detroit Red Wings as the Bruins get ready to play host once again. Yeah, the Red Wings are uh, – they lost last night. They, they gave up a goal – to or on the power play for the first time. Um, they're an interesting team to watch. I don't know how good they're going to be. Derek Lalonde, the coach from assistant coach in Tampa Bay, was hired by Steve Eiserman, who, who was, as you know, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, opted to go back to Detroit just before uh, they took off, which was an interesting decision. But, you know, he, he had his hands full. He knew the team was going to be dreadful and it was for the first couple of seasons and they're but they're starting to make some headway um they have you know a kid by the name of mort cider on the blue line he's going to be he's off to a slow start you know one assist but he should be a good power play player uh there's no doubt that uh, as an all member of the all rookie team that he's got a bright future ahead of him got some veteran players to settle some things down but there's there, there are some holes on the blue line, and that's why I'm a little concerned about their goaltending. Um, it's it's not maybe what it should be. Um, they picked up Villiuso from St. Louis. Uh, he's got he had some good numbers last year in St. Louis, but when you're playing in front of a kind of a porous defense, um, you better be on your A game. And uh, and we'll see about that. They got a couple of guys out: Robbie Fabry on injured reserve, Tyler Bertuzzi on. Uh, on uh, injured reserve. They'll miss those guys. Their leader, Captain Dylan Larkin, can fly. He can flat-out fly. I mean, Sean scored his first goal last night, and uh, playing on a line with him is Dominic Kubalik, who's right up there amongst the scorers in in the National Hockey League with 10 points over the course of six six games. They got a young kid by the name of Lucas Raymond, also an all-rookie team member last year. Um, but, and they added some veterans. This was the interesting part of, uh, the summer for, for Iserman. Nobody thought he'd go to the veteran well when he had so many young kids in the lineup and thought he would just continue to rebuild. But he, he did stretch out for guys like David Perron, David Perron and a couple of others that, uh, you know, can settle things down and they can, you know, straighten out the ship, which will get a little wobbly from time to time as they try to get it all intact. But the, I guess the big thing from my mind is uh, as they come into Boston after a tough loss, their first loss of the season, you know, they'll probably be a little jazzed up to go as, as most teams are when they come to the garden. It's important for, for the Bruins to get off to a good start, you know, put them on their heels early, get them to remember how much they, they like to lose. (laughs) But it's just it's a it's a, a point of pride for home teams if you can get off to a good start against a weaker opponent, get them on their heels, shake their confidence. It gives you such a good chance to win. You know, it's going to be interesting for me to see who's in goal tomorrow for the Bruins. Will, will Swayman finally get a Ooh. chance to do some, you know, some business in goal, or will they go back to the guy that has been, you know, he and Postonark are their best players right now. I mean, Elmark has just come late years, and you know, earlier in the show we talked to Billy Jaffe about that. We talked, who talked to Andrew Raycroft, and Raycroft says he just he sort of can't believe just how far he's come. But there are 82 games in the season, and you know he's not going to play all of them. 
But we all know that they're trying to bank points until Marshan and McAvoy get back in the lineup. And, and um, these are two bankable points. If they're ready to go and, and their intensity level is high, you know, like we go back to CJ, the caller's point, you know, their power play hasn't been brilliant. Penalty killing has been excellent, but they, they, they need to stay out of the box against Detroit and make sure they don't give them any opportunities, unnecessary opportunities. And meanwhile, put the pedal to the metal. And if they can get that third line going, they've got two lines going right now pretty pretty darn well. If that third line can chip in a little bit more frequently with some offense, um, with a fourth line that's hard-nosed, it's a, it's, a, it's a winnable game. And so is the one in Columbus as they start the road trip. Are you going to start a road trip? It's nice to start it against a team that's, you know, fighting it a little bit, and the Blue Jackets are indeed fighting it. They sure are, Mike. Well, we'll be looking forward ahead to tomorrow. Of course, we'll have gloves off hockey for you right before the Bruins game from 6 to 7. Mike, doesn't matter if they put Huso or Nedeljkovic in there. Our boys are going to be ready. Thank you so much for joining us as always. And on behalf of my partner, Mike Milbury, your friend Ben Rabinovitz here on 1510 WMEX. Thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow and meet TV all night long.